Hey, good morning. I uh, sure hope you're doing well. Welcome those who are at uh, Pleasantview this morning, and of course those in the chapel. We're going to start with a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for the morning and uh, the opportunity we've all had to worship you in a variety of different venues this morning, and uh, all of us uh, now find ourselves centered on you and find ourselves kind of awaiting to hear from you through the word, and uh, not, not through any person's word, Lord, but through your word. And um, you know, we believe that your Holy Spirit can speak directly to our hearts, and you can do that individually all, all over, all through our campuses and uh, different venues, and you can speak to us, Lord, and, and we want to be, be ready for that. And so we want to clear whatever is in the way, Lord. Um, maybe this moment, and I believe it, every time your people gather to worship, I believe this moment has been carved out by you, and you have a specific reason. Everybody is in this place. Everybody is gathered to worship. And so um, have your way in my heart today, in the hearts of those who will listen to these, these words, in the hearts of those who are um, hungry today for something more. Uh, we want to leave here and be more like you. Uh, I want to be more like Jesus, and that's the goal. So thank you again for your goodness and your love. Uh, have your way, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, uh, if um, <clears throat> you have been just joining or just joining or been around, here's the basic idea of the series. Uh, all of your systems in your life... Okay, you can decide whether or not you agree with this. All the systems of your life are perfectly designed for the result of your life today. Uh, and that's what the you are here idea is, is, is all about. Um, it, it, this, this, this life we have, all the decisions uh, that we have made up to this point, all the circumstances that have been part of our lives has produced this moment and this time. This is where you are. And that, that makes a couple of different reactions or forms a couple of different reactions uh, for all of us listening. Here, it, well, first reaction would be, well, I like my life. <laughs> it's better than it was two or three years ago, you know, or two or five years ago, whatever. And, and, and today, this life is a good life. And that's one reaction. Here's a second possible reaction. I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't think I like my life where it is right now. I, I don't want to be here. Or maybe not the entirety, but maybe there are some things of my life that I think, man, I'd love to change that. I don't, I don't want to be here. And here's a third possible reaction, and that is, man, I never thought my life would be here. Way back when, when I said I do, I never thought I would be here. Uh, way back when, when I made those decisions financially, I never thought I would be here. This illness, disease has hit me out of the blue, and I never thought I would be here. And if any area of your life, like mine, is less than satisfactory, what we tend to do is we, t- we kind of arrange these excuses or these rationales for why our life is the way it is. And I'm like a professional excuse maker. I mean, I can, I can, I can give you great reasons for why my life is the way it is. And, and probably you can too. And those rationales are wide and varied. Well, um, I got sick. Uh, or, well, uh, my job produces a lot of stress. Or, um, he didn't treat me right. Or, my family actually did this to me. If I would have been born into a different family or... If I had a different family, or if I married a different family, or I lost my job, maybe that would it, or I was treated unfairly, or I can't catch a break. We all just sort of have these excuses. And here's the thing that I've realized. All those excuses may be true. If we sat down and I said, here's why this is this area of my life, and and you said, here's why this is this area of my life, we'd, we'd both say, well, that makes a lot of sense. But regardless of that, today, this moment... This is your life. This is, who you, this is who you are. This is what you have. This is your life. And most of us could probably identify one or two different places. Maybe some of us can identify a bunch of places where we want our lives to be different. We want to be different. So today, 
we're here, one thing we know is that we don't want to stay here. We want to be somewhere different in whatever area of our lives we're, we're working through. Two weeks ago, we offered up these three kind of filters, if you will, uh, and then I kind of jumped metaphors in the middle of the message, which was a great communication tactic, but uh, I kind of talked about filters, and then I started getting on crockpots. I don't know if I got hungry or what happened, but I started thinking about putting these in your crockpot for the year, and uh, so if you were confused, it's because I'm confused, and that's just the way it went, okay? So whatever I'm going to call them today, we'll just go with it, Okay. So we're going to go with it. So uh, here's kind of where I, where I said, if we start the new year, there's a couple of different filters to put in your crock pot. <laughs> okay, first one is the reality check. And the reality check is no blaming, stop the victimization, just own it. This is where you are, <laughs> okay? There may be 1,400 reasons why, but this is it. This is where I am. This is where you are. This is my marriage, my kids, my health, my finances, my spiritual status. This is it. This is my life. No candy coating, not, not what I hope it will be, not trying to paint a prettier picture than it is, not trying to convince myself, this is my life. This is reality. Some of us, that's kind of where we need to start. Uh, the second thing we talked about was faith. This is your life, but Scripture teaches that Jesus also has a plan for your life. And the plan for your life, the plan that he has, may be different than the plan you're per- currently pursuing. Jesus actually has some things to say about you and your life. He says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, nothing we have ever done can separate us from his love. He says, you were, we were all made with this clear, important, and wonderful purpose, everybody, that he has for our lives. Now, here's the thing. At faith, and these two points, okay, here's my reality. Here's faith that Jesus actually says something different about me, and I believe that to be true. Nothing changes yet. These are all just kind of points of realization for us. Nothing has changed so far. And it's not until this point that we actually begin to see change. I grew up in a church that taught repent meant to turn. And that's accurate. It really is. Uh, Today, in our church, I kind of like to think of it this way. I think that repentance means to rethink how I think about everything. And that's going to become really important in this story here in a couple minutes that we're going to get to. And when we rethink how we think about our self-esteem, how we rethink about, think about our guilt or our emotional battles or our bodies or our illnesses or our relationships or our sin or our purpose, at that point is when real change begins to take place. Hebrews said this, remember this? Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let's just pause long enough. This is the baggage we're hauling around. This is the stuff when we had our you are here moment that we brought into this room. This is the place that you had to make room to sit around you. This is the stuff you keep tripping over all the time. Baggage we haul around into every relationship and the baggage is wearing a slap out. I mean habits and addictions and patterns of thinking and how we see ourselves, how we see others. Throw that great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles the things that that we won't close the door on, the things that we are consistently blaming other people for, even though it's our own decisions, the things that we keep let hanging around because the feeling is too good or too comfortable for us to let go of. Let's throw that stuff off, the Scripture says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand throne of God.
So far, that's all basically a summary of where we've been in this series. Now here's Tom reality point for you. This seems so simple, doesn't it? (laughs) Okay, I got it. Because, you know, I'm kind of a bottom line sort of guy. Throw off everything that's messing me up. Set my eyes on Jesus and stay that way. (laughs) That's kind of what I do. And yet, uh, man, throwing off the junk from years ago, that sounds exciting. Get rid of the stuff that's tying me down. That sounds good. Fix my eyes on Jesus. Run the race. And this is going to be a piece of cake, you would think, initially. I mean, this is going to be easy. But here's what I've learned. See if you agree. A simple truth is not necessarily an easy one. Have you, have you learned that? Let's say you decided to embrace the three steps or the three filters or the three crockpot seasonings that I have so accurately portrayed. And let's say you decided to do that for 2018. Reality check, faith, and repent. Do you know what step four is going to be? Reality check, faith, and repent. You know what step four is going to be? You ready? Roadblock. Roadblock. Every stinking time, that's a theology term, but every stinking time, that's going to kind of be what's going what's to happen. There's going to be a roadblock. And what's, the truth is, many of us in this room have already discovered this in the first three weeks of 2018. <laughs> a roadblock. We defined our here, and we said, okay, I'm going to be somewhere different in 2018. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to get fired up in my finances like Joe Sangle. I'm going to change my marriage. I'm going to get serious about my relationship with God. I'm going to patch that broken relationship. And then you hit a roadblock. You strained a muscle because you tried to do too much the first day at the gym. And now you're laid up for six weeks, right? (laughs) Roadblock. You forgot that actually working out actually hurts, and that's why you stopped doing it to begin with, right? You formed a budget. Then an appliance went out at the house. You had a big fight with someone you love. The, the kind of stuff happens to me all the time, and it happens to me as well. And when it does, you know what I do as a good professional Christian who's been trained in the Scripture and trained in God? You know what I do? I get mad at God. <laughs> when I hit those walls and hit a roadblock, I get mad at God. And, I, and it's kind of like this. Lord, I thought if I tried to do the right thing, you would at least help me a little. I... I hope Mary had these thoughts. Now, I don't want to get sacrilegious in any way, but I just really hope she did. Hey, guess what, Mary? You're pregnant, but it's okay. You're carrying Jesus. Great. We'll have plays for years with little kids playing out this this scenario. It's going to be wonderful. I'll ponder these things in my heart. And then she travels to Bethlehem. By the way, little just kind of gets breezed over sometimes. She travels to Bethlehem, nine months pregnant, riding on a donkey. She gets to Bethlehem, there's no room in the hotel, but the time is now. You with me? The time is now. So she ends up going into this manger situation, this stable situation. No hotel anywhere. So I hope that Mary, okay, pregnant by the Son of God, shunned by the community, going to have to tell my fiancé all this, uh, nine months pregnant, everybody's picking on me because I'm pregnant and I'm out of wedlock. Oh, i got to go to Bethlehem, riding on the donkey, all the way to Bethlehem, nine months, get there. It's okay, we're going to be in a hotel. I feel some pains growing, I feel some pressure. That's what they call it now. Pressure, you know, i got some pressure. And so uh, it's going to be fine. I'm just going to go to the hospital or go to the nice hotel room. Nope, you're going to go to a barn. Don't you think Mary at least had a thought, hello? This is the son of God. This is your kid, you know? A little help would be nice here. And I bet she did. I'll bet she had those thoughts. What's even more disturbing to me is it seems like that kind of thing happens, these roadblock kind of things, 
all the time in Scripture. It's plastered throughout the pages of Scripture. People in the, in the Bible embark on this fresh following of God, and they run into some roadblock, and they get frustrated. And what happens is often they'll go back to where they were before the fresh following of God. I'll give you another example. Thursday night before Jesus dies, he's sharing a Passover meal. We're going to do Christmas and Easter all in one sermon. He's sharing a crass Passover meal with his followers, right? And he says, one of you is going to betray me. And this incenses Peter, because he's the one who thinks for, or says something and then he thinks about it, which I can really relate to. And he does that. He rises up in front of his peers and he says, all these people may betray you, Jesus, but not me. I am true blue. I am loyal forever. Never betray you. Well, then by breakfast, the next morning, he's actually betrayed Jesus not once, but three different times. And he hits a roadblock. And he's broken and he's discouraged. And you know what he does? He goes back to his old life. He starts fishing again. Jesus eventually finds Peter and he reinstates him as a follower. This happens throughout the pages of Scripture. People hit a roadblock. People like me and like you. Faithfully following God. Doing our best to do the right thing. Can run into a roadblock and wonder if the whole thing's broken. It's part of our deepen class that we've been running. Two of them filled up, and they're actually going to do a third one. I've done two others outside of what we're doing at the church. We're studying this story in Matthew's gospel, and um, Jesus is increasing in popularity. People are being attracted to him and to hear him teach and to see him heal people. And Jesus has just learned that his cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded. Okay? Not just any cousin. They were tight. These were, these were buddies, kind of similar ages and all that kind of stuff. And and so Jesus wanted to grieve, and so Jesus tries to head out of town to find a private place to grieve, but the people follow Jesus out of town. And Jesus, the scripture says, actually had compassion on them, which, just a side note, is a beautiful Jesus to me. He wants to grieve because he's hurting, but he sees the compassion, he has compassion for the needs of the people, and he sets those aside in order to deal with this, which is just beautiful. Evening starts to approach as these people are around him. He teaches and he's healed. And evening starts to approach. And disciples are getting a little antsy, so they come to Jesus. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Hey, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. So send the crowds away into the village so they can buy food for themselves. Now, this is, what this means is there is no Taco Bell around. Okay, there's no, there's no fast food, no Chick-fil-A, okay? None of that's going on. There's no place to eat, really. And so we got a problem brewing because... Uh, near as we can tell, from what Scripture says, there are 5,000 men here. And so you can figure that there were spouses and children as well. Probably somewhere, could have been over 10,000 people, could have been. And so um, the disciples say, we've been looking around, and uh, we have found a little a fellow who's brought some five loaves of bread and two fish. And then someone said, but I'm vegan. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyway, there's five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And, and this is where, this is where kind of the, the, the story gets a little weird. And, and, and where it seems impossible. Because what Jesus says to the crowd is, he says, or says to the disciples, okay, y'all feed them. And the disciples had that like blank stare. <laughs> like, it, it did, okay, oh, five loaves of bread, two fishy, you know, and there's 10,000 plus people here. And, um, and, and he says, you feed them. This, this is impossible. Well, Jesus does his thing and actually ends up being 12 baskets of leftovers that day. People are all amazed, and they start calling for Jesus to be a king. 
wow, he just fed us, he's healed us, he's teaching us, let him be king. So Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, get in the boat and head out to the other side of the lake. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And you know why now, right? He's still got to grieve. He's still hurting. When evening came, Jesus was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now, the Sea of Galilee is eight miles long, about 13 miles, uh, wi- or eight miles wide, 13 miles long. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. And around that area, because of the rock formations, there's volcanoes, earthquakes, all that sort of happens in that area frequently. But even more than that, there was these mountains on the side, and the wind would come over those mountains and then basically rush down the hill to the lowest point on the planet, or freshwater lake, and the waves would, the wind would just kill that lake or kill that, that, that sea. And that, and that went on uh, frequently. And so they're halfway across this lake, and they're battling that wind. They're not making any progress at all. In fact, some of the disciples are actually afraid because they had lost friends in storms like this on that sea. They had people in the bottom of that sea because of being in a storm just like this one. It was scary and it was tense. And in the fourth watch of the night, just means it was really late, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Pause. Because we are all in the south and part of the edge of the Bible Belt here. And so we here walk on the sea and think, oh, that's very nice. No, that was freaky. Okay? That was miraculous. Okay? That didn't happen. There was no kind of rubric to handle this kind of thinking. There was a dude walking on the water, and that was really a strange sight for them. Twilight zone. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And that makes perfect sense. Right? They were scared to death. It's a ghost, they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and he said, Take heart, it's I, it is I. Do not be afraid. Here's my question. Why did Jesus have the disciples do this to begin with? What? Why did Jesus put them in the boat to begin with? We were standing on, on the shore. We had plenty of leftovers, 12 baskets. We're going to be fine here. We could camp out here for, I don't know, a couple weeks probably. But Jesus sends them out on the water. He says, go get in the boat. And what do they do? The disciples who do exactly what Jesus said to do, you know what they do? <laughs> they run into the storm. I've discovered that I am really good at following God when I'm standing on land and my stomach is full. But man, when I run into a roadblock, I have all kinds of questions. When the wind is howling and the sea is rocking and the boat's taking on water and all I'm doing is obeying Jesus and I'm scared to death. You know what I'm talking about, right? You've been there. Lord, I'm trying to be faithful. Did you see what the doctor just said? I'm trying to be faithful. Did you hear how I was just treated? I'm trying to be faithful. Did you hear about that gossip going on about me over there? I'm trying to be faithful. Peter speaks up in the boat. Lord, if that's you, I want to walk on water too. (laughs) Which I love because that's exactly the way I would want to respond. If that's really you and I can get in on this, I want to try this. This is going to be great. It's going to be a great Instagram or Snap crap or something, whatever it is. I don't know what it's called. So anyway... (laughs) 
Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, maybe we haven't asked Jesus to walk on water. I don't, I don't know if you've asked that. But I can tell you, and probably all agree, we've most certainly asked God to help us get from here to there. And Peter was facing a reality that everybody can relate to. If I stay here in this boat, my future looks grim. If I stay in this situation, this relationship, this mentality, this hypocrisy, if I stay right here, the future looks grim. If I stay in the safety of a sinking boat, this is not going to end well. It's not the best way, but it's the only way I know. Jesus says, come. And, and, and I love that. It wasn't like any prompting. So I was like, I, I picture Peter is like one foot on the side, right? <laughs> it's like, and then he says, it's come. And Peter's gone. And he, what's, read this with me. He walked on the water and came to Jesus. Wow. In that one little deal there, we see all three of those filters I started this whole message with. Reality check, I'm in this boat, it's going down. Faith, I may have to rethink how I think about everything, about what it would be like to put my hands in your hands, my life in you. Repent, rethink about how I think about everything, and Peter ends up walking on the water. He and Jesus are the only two members of the Walking on a Water Club. But then the voices start. And I haven't walked on water, but I can relate to these voices. And they're voices everybody's familiar with. You can't do this. This is insane. Do you realize where you are? Who walks on water? Who quits their job? Who, who would forgive that wrong? Who would confess their hypocrisy? Who would ask forgiveness from that person? Who gives generously with their money <laughs> or their time? You're never going to be in shape. Why are you trying? When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, I've read this passage for years, and this statement has always bothered me. Because it doesn't fit in the context of the Jesus I know in, in the New Testament. It doesn't seem to fit the Jesus that I follow. I mean, I just kind of think like uh, Jesus, you know, Peter walks on water because it says he came to Jesus. So he walked on water a good ways, and then he gets out there, and the thing starts rocking, and Peter starts going down. And then J Jesus says, oh, you, why? Why do you doubt? Nah, but, you know, I kind of think that. And I, and I realize, maybe I'm wrong. Have you ever taught anybody to ride a bike before? So uh, if you haven't, or if it's been a while, here's how this goes. You put the kid on the bike. Sorry, nowadays... You put the helmet on, you put the elbow pad, the knee pads, the body armor, and you put the kid on the bike, right? That's kind of what, the goggles. Got to put the goggles, get a bug, gnat, flies in the eye. And so you got all this kid on the, on the bike, and you have them put their hands on the handlebars and their feet on the pedals, and then you tell them to go. And you say, look straight ahead and just pedal. And here's what, the, here's what we say. I'm going to have my hand back here, right, on the seat, 
and I'm going to help you kind of do this number, right? That's how, that's, you all should be taking notes. This is how you help people ride a bike. You know, this is, so you do that. And then the kid gets going after a couple of things, and they hit hard to the left, hard to the right, and they get straightened out. And then after a little while, you have this magic moment where you know the kid has it, right? And you're sitting there like this, and you know the kid is just going. And so you just sort of let go, and you stop running beside the kid. And the kid takes off, and the kid's doing great with this newfound expression of freedom and independence until they discover you left. And when they discover you left, they're looking like, where in the world did dad or mom go? You know, that kind of moment like that. And what ends up happening is you have a pile of kid and bike, you know. And so you run and you pick the kid up and you brush him off. Hey, listen, we don't have to tell mom about any of this, okay? It's just between me and you. Don't worry about a thing. It's just us, me and you, right? This is what's going to happen. And then you say, you were doing great. You had it. I kind of think that might have been the tenor of what Jesus was saying. Would you accept that? Peter, you had this, man. You had it. You were walking on water. Why'd you doubt? And then when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And everybody in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly you are not a king. You're not the next political leader. You're the Son of God. It's easy to worship now, isn't it? We're back in the boat with the man, our man, Jesus. He's here. He's taking care of the wind, taking care of the waves. We're in our safe zone. No wind, no threat, no roadblock. I would suspect that some of us are at a point where we made steps to get from here to there where we feel called to be. But this morning, we're at this point where we realize we're not able. And I think that puts us in pretty good company. The disciples didn't know what Jesus was doing as they stood before the hungry crowd. They didn't have a plan. They didn't have it figured out. Do you remember what Jesus asked them for? He asked them for what they did have. Well, Jesus, we got these five loaves of bread and two fish, and that's what they gave him, and apparently that was enough. Jesus says to the disciples, hey, y'all get in the boat. And either he didn't know the storm was coming, or he had a lesson to teach them about faith and dependence. Peter didn't walk on water because he practiced. He walked on water because he had faith. There's only one way to learn to ride a bike. You can read about it. You can sing songs about it. You can put a bike sticker on your car. You can join a bike committee. You can listen to talk about bikes. But you're never going to learn to ride a bike until you get on it and start to pedal. I wonder if some of you are thinking about going back to the boat because you had a week or a couple of weeks or a couple of days of walking on water of faith, but now the storm is blowing in and you are afraid. Satan would love for you and for me to go back to the sinking boat. But you know where you are. 
And what you and I want is to be somewhere different, somewhere God is calling us to be, somewhere more loving, more trusting, less critical, less, hip- less hypocritical. I've been trying to think of a word to sort of describe those moments when I take some big step of faith and then get overwhelmed by the storm. And, and, and you know what I think, I think I feel in those times when I'm like just taking some step of faith out of obedience and then someone blasts me or someone takes a side shot or maybe I take a step of faith and then I get afraid of all the circumstances. I think the feeling that I have may be uh, dismay. Dismay means concern and distress caused by something unexpected. Another word might be despair. That word dismay slash despair is in the Old Testament about 47 different times. I'll give you two examples. Here's Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Some of you, that may be why you're at church today, that one part of that verse. (laughs) Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Just keep pedaling, dude. Keep pedaling. (laughs) I'll strengthen you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isn't that good stuff? And then Joshua Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Why? For God's with you wherever you go. You remember the story of David and Goliath? It's probably one of the most popular stories you probably heard as a little kid. The basic idea is you get a little kid and you got a nine-foot-tall giant, slingshot, bang, giant's dead. Great story. Sorry if I ruined it for you. And so here's how that goes, though. Uh, David's not even supposed to be on the battlefield. Uh, His dad sends him to take food to his brothers who are on the battlefield. David gets there, and the basic scenario was the Philistines had said, hey, we got this one big dude. You bring out one big dude to fight our big dude, and the winner takes all. That was what they were trying trying to do. Well, their big dude was literally nine feet tall, okay? He was a big, big dude, okay? And so he's out there, and said, hey, he's talking smack. Come on, y'all, bring it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and the people of God, the, it, the armies of God are actually hiding. They're like, I ain't going out there. <laughs> you know, it's self-preservation mode. I'm not going to fight that dude. You, 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 know, you go. Oh, I'm not afraid. I just got to, my back hurts a little today, but I would go otherwise. You know, that kind of conversation was taking place. David gets there, and he's like, oh, my goodness, what's happening? And so he says, I'll, I'll fight him. I'll take him down. I'll, I'll go. And then David talks smack to Goliath. It's awesome. David says these words. The Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, you big ugly face. And he'll give you into our hand. And that's the bottom line of why I want, what I want to share with you. If you are at the point where you have hit the roadblock, whatever it is, it may be a legit roadblock too. And I get that. Things beyond your control, things that make you afraid, things that make you angry, things that make you anxious. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. It's not your battle. It's the Lord's. So don't be dismayed. Either Jesus knew exactly that there was a storm out there, or he didn't. 
I would suggest he knew. But he wanted to teach them whose battle it was. And maybe that's what he's trying to teach you as well. The battle is the Lord's. Thank you, Lord, for the day. High honor of being able to share with these folks what's on my heart today. And uh, Lord, I pray you would use these words to build up your body. Uh, We are your bride. And I pray that you would work now as our pastor from person to person, hand on the back, whisper in the ears, I got you. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. You're not alone. And I pray, Father, that that would sort of resonate throughout the body today. Pray for any teachers that might be discouraged in this day, that time of year, (laughs) concerned about a certain kid or kids aren't seem to pay attention. The battle's the Lord's. Don't be dismayed. Folks that are really dealing with something in their heart related to another person, don't be dismayed. The battle's the Lord's. People that are fighting the biggest battle of their lives, they're actually fighting for their life right now. Don't be dismayed. The battle is the Lord's. People that have tried this week and maybe this year to kind of get on a right path spiritually. Maybe they made a fresh commitment to you. This week they failed miserably. Don't be dismayed. The battle is the Lord's. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, your love, and your presence. In your name, amen.